Is that a big amen truth or what? Amen. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a tremendous truth that is. What a tremendous promise that is to us from our God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So how important is truth? Well, by this time in our series, I'm presuming that uh, you want to answer the question, very important, extremely important, life and death important. We live in a culture that is fast approaching the idea that truth and fantasy are equally valid. I, I think that's not a, a, a new idea to you. In fact, if you pay attention to anything that's going on, you're, you're like, what is going on in our world? And I can tell you that when truth and fantasy become equally valid, the rule of law comes unglued. And culture itself tumbles into anarchy and chaos. When Jesus came on the scene, those who were anticipating certain things started to embrace the same idea where truth or fantasy became equally valid. They were interested in Jesus as long as he was sort of some idiosyncratic rabbi who entertained them. But once he started to proclaim definitive truth and give them either or decisions, he started to reject him and object to him in, with great vigor. We find that same attitude prevalent in our own culture. Just step forward and say something is absolutely true that doesn't fit with the fantasies of our culture. And you will see how we are really tumbling into anarchy. So if I were to ask you this big question, what is your best vision of the future? What is your best vision of this world or the future of this world? Well, a lot of people, you know, if you ask that question to our culture, uh, people have a variety of answers. They just, well, I, I just want world peace. Well, there's nothing wrong with that vision, but it usually comes out of the mouth of somebody who hasn't spoken to their father for 30 years. It's like, why don't you start there? Like, how, 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 you know, how... How good are you at bringing peace? Or I just think that if, if we all loved each other, it'd be tremendous. These are the people who carry placards and go downtown and smash the windows of their neighbor's businesses and plunder them. Yeah, that's really loving. It's fantastic. You're a great start on this whole idea. Or I just think that everybody should be happy. I don't know anybody who's very happy. Our world is angry. Uh, I mean, most of the people out there are just, frankly, angry, aren't they? Isn't that how you would characterize our culture? If you were to ask this question to the people of Israel at the time of Christ, what's your big vision of the future? What's your, what's your big grand vision of, uh, of the future of this world? They would say, the resurgence of the Davidic monarchy only better. 
They, they had a grand vision of what they anticipated would be the ultimate future of the world. And, and for good reason. They had tremendous prophecies that we have as well in the scriptures that talked about a, a coming kingdom, a coming great time, a time of a, of the, of a Davidic monarchy, but with a, a king who would be everlasting, who would rule with justice and righteousness, and there would be peace throughout the world, and there would be no more sickness or dying or, or no more pain or suffering. And Israel would rule the world. It was very pro-Jewish. And then along came Jesus, this rabbi who they scratched their heads and couldn't figure out where he was coming from. He talked a lot about the kingdom and talked about the kingdom being near, within their reach. And as they looked around, they're like, well, this was not what we had planned. Roman domination being persecuted. This is not the vision that we had in the Old Testament prophecy. What are you talking about the kingdom? One day there was a group of Pharisees. I think they were trying to put each other up to something and one of them elbowed the guy next to him and said, go ask him. Go ask him what? Go ask him about the kingdom. Go, go ask him about when the kingdom will come. It's kind of sarcastic, I think. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you'll turn to Luke 17 with me, and you'll see in verse 20 there, and 21, some, one of them sashays up to Jesus and says to him, so tell us, since you seem to know so much about the kingdom, when the kingdom of God would come. I'm convinced it's oozing with sarcasm. I really am. Because they thought he was an imposter. They thought he was a crazy rabbi. All this kingdom lingo. They had heard John the Baptist say, repent for the kingdom is near. They thought he was another in the line of wackos eating grasshoppers and honey dressing in Duck Dynasty garb. Jesus talked about multiple parables. He talked about the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. So they thought he'd put him to the test again. When, When the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is among you. Better translation. Or within reach. I'll explain that a little bit later. I want to camp here this morning. I want to unpack this section of Scripture. Seems like a very small piece of Scripture, saying, well, we'll be out of here in 10 minutes. You know better than that. Don't get your hopes up. Today I want to talk to you about one half of the doctrine of the kingdom, but it's a big half. And next Sunday, Lord willing, I want to talk to you about another half, another part of the kingdom. Jesus divided up his answer in two parts here. 
talked about the kingdom that is among them, and later he talks about the kingdom that is coming. We want to talk about the kingdom that is coming next Sunday. Let's pause for prayer. Father, would you please help me to show your beloved the truth about the kingdom? I pray, O oh God, that your spirit would invade this place as he lives in us, but in, open up our minds that we might focus, not be distracted, but to take in the immensity of the truth about the kingdom of God and what we have that we might have forgotten about or we might not be living to the fullest extent or we might not even have embraced yet. Lord, I don't know what the situation of the heart is this morning, but you do. I pray that you would take us into your truth. Your word is truth. And show us the amazing things you want us to see for Jesus' sake. Amen. So they asked him when the kingdom of God would come. Now, very briefly, the kingdom of God, the, the nature of the kingdom is simply this. It's the rule and reign of God. If you're looking for a definition of kingdom, it's the rule and reign of God. All the mystery around it and all the... the, the Theological machinations that we try to produce are one thing, but the simple truth is the rule and reign of God. Um, and as they looked around, as they looked around, something just didn't seem right. The Romans seemed to be ruling. Where's God's rule? In fact, John the Baptist at one, at one low point in his life when he had been imprisoned sent me, sent message to Jesus to ask him, are you the one that was supposed to come or should we be looking for another? He even for a moment was discombobulated. They were expecting the final day of the Lord, which is, which is declared in the Old Testament so many times, the, the day of the Lord, which would be a cosmic crisis, the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth, there'd be signs, there'd be, there'd be an incredible things that would happen, incredible signs in the world. They weren't seeing that. They had heard Malachi, the prophets say that, that Elijah would come before the, the day of the Lord. And he would proclaim the message of children turning their hearts to their fathers and their fathers turning their hearts back to their, uh, uh, to their children. Where's that? It's not happening. At the very least, we should be seeing something, Jesus. And we're not. I want to give you a very quick overview of the entirety of the scriptural teachings on the kingdom. I want to show you a kingdom infograph that you won't probably have time to diagram yourself. You may, but the office has copies for those of you who are interested in this infograph. Where's the kingdom? What's the kingdom? What is this talk about the kingdom of God? The Old Testament scriptures are very limited in the discussion, any, any identification of the kingdom of God, yet they're not absent the idea. Everywhere in the scriptures, the idea of the king over his universe, the everlasting king, is demonstrated in the Old Testament. But 
this kind of language of the kingdom of God is rather foreign to the Old Testament. It pops up in the New Testament a lot. But there's a lot of texts. I picked out just a couple. Psalm 103:19 assures us that the Old Testament writers understood about the king and his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, the rule of God over the universe, his universe that he created. It's not a new idea. So there already is a kingdom. There already always has been. The king is on his throne. But the Old Testament scriptures also teach us that the Lord is coming. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, God, who was in perfect fellowship with them and walked with them in the Garden of Eden, had separated himself from humanity because of its sin. And then through the scriptures, there was always this promise that that to people who would be faithful to God, there would be a recovery of this. There would be a time when the Lord would come and he would walk among us again. And so this concept and this anticipation and this expectation in the Old Testament always existed that that the Lord is coming. In fact, the prophets regularly named God, the God in heaven, the God who comes. And then, of course, as the prophecies continued in the scriptures, the prophecy was promised that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Daniel made this prophecy from his dream that he received about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then he talked about the rock that fills the whole world. And then the prophets continued to prophesy about these things until the time of Malachi. And then for 450 years, there was radio silence from heaven. Nothing. That's a long time. That's a lot of generations. Waiting. When is the Lord coming? As he has promised. When is this kingdom, this glorious kingdom that the Old Testament portrayed, when will that happen? And so all of this pent-up expectation overflowed into the time of Jesus because things started to happen. In fact, um, this guy John the Baptist shows up. Malachi had said Elijah would show up before the time of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist shows up. The people asked him, are you Elijah? Because the one they expected to be the forerunner of the great kingdom that was coming and the Lord's coming would be Elijah. But an angel had told Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, that his son would prophesy in the spirit and message of Elijah. When Jesus referred to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, he said, among prophets, there's never been one greater than John the Baptist. Greater than Elijah? Greater than Moses? Why would Jesus say that? And then he said, if you will accept it, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. John the Baptist is the herald that was promised in Isaiah. 
and in Malachi. The one who would be the forerunner, crying out, preaching out, make way for the coming of the Lord. And so we find that the king comes. The wise man came into town and they asked, Where is the one born king? A baby born king? Yeah, that's what got Herod all, all, all bent out of shape. Jesus didn't become king. Jesus was already king. The kingdom already existed. The king already was on his throne. The king over the universe had already created his universe. The king has now come to visit earth. The king, the one already born king is here. And that king, Jesus, showed up for his baptism one day. See, John the Baptist was talking a a message of urgency, the urgency of the hour. What time is this? Uh, This this was the time to decide which side you were on. Are you on the side of God or are you on the side of yourself? Are you on the side of your dream, your vision, your fantasy, what you expect things to be, or are you on the side of truth? Are you on the side of God? And so people were coming to him. He was proclaiming this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Get right with God. Be baptized. You see, um, when a Gentile would come into the community of faith, a proselyte, would have to do three things. He would first of all have to make a profession of faith in the law and the prophets. In other words, he would have to profess his faith in the truth of God's word. Secondly, he would have to be circumcised. And thirdly, he or she would have to be baptized, cleansed, a symbol of cleansing. Take a bath. Your life was formerly steeped in sin and dirty. Now, symbolically, take a bath. The Jews were fine with this. If you think baptism started with the Baptists, no, no, no. No, no, no. This, this goes back before us. Jews were fine with this. But John the Baptist came preaching a message that said, no, no, everybody needs a bath. What are you talking about everybody, John? Everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike, none of you are ready for the coming of the Lord. None of your hearts are right. That's what got John the Baptist in such trouble. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, oh, wait a second, yeah, maybe the riffraff need to get baptized. Are you talking about us? Yeah, I'm talking about you. Get baptized. Take a bath, required of everyone. The clergy are furious. 
And Jesus shows up one day while John is baptizing and says, John, baptize me. Now, John's theology went crazy that day. He's like, what? I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch your sandal. And you're, telling, you're asking me to baptize you. This is a baptism for those who haven't got themselves on the right side. This is a baptism for those who need to clean up their act. This is a baptism for those who are demonstrating that they want to serve and follow God. You're already there. Jesus says, John, look, I don't have time to give you a theology lesson right now. I'm on a busy schedule. That's what, that's what he said, but sort of. But basically, just baptize me. And you will find out later why. Because it's to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus was going to be the sin bearer. Jesus was going to identify with humanity. Jesus was going to take our place on the cross. Jesus, therefore, had to live out all of the requirements of those who were following Christ or following God, that he might identify with us. It is important for us to understand that how important this symbol really is. Jesus was baptized to identify with you and with me. And he in turn commands us to be baptized that we might identify with him. And so if you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but have not been baptized, you have unfinished business with God. He identified with you, put himself out there to bear your sins to carry your sins to the cross for you. And his command back to you is identify with me by baptism. Jesus continued to preach the message and so his father said to him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It was on the day of his baptism that he was ordained by the father to his ministry and his mission on earth. Go and teach the message of the kingdom. As it is in heaven, may it be so here on earth. And so Jesus spends his three years proclaiming the kingdom of God, inviting people to come to the kingdom, to come into a relationship where God is now ruling and reigning over your life. Make a choice, the urgency of the hour. In the first act, Jesus was taken into the desert to be tempted, led there by the Spirit of God, that he might be the champion, our champion, demonstrating the power of God to overcome temptation, that in the strength of God we can say no, we can be more than conquerors through Christ who gave himself for us. Adam, our forerunner, failed in temptation in a pristine garden of Eden where he had all the food he could handle, where he had all the beautiful things around him, where he had everything. And he failed in the temptation. 
But here is our Savior led out into the wilderness where he has nothing. He has no food for 40 days. He has nothing but stark landscape and wild animals. And there he is tempted in the most vulnerable state of humanity, having not eaten for 40 days. And the tempter comes to him with a relentless pressure. Here, go make some food for yourself if you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, take yourself up, put you up on the top of the tabernacle or the temple. You can jump off, plunge off, and God, of course, will save you by his angels. Here, just, just take a knee. Take a knee before me. One knee, that's all I ask. One knee, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You know, um, our world today is filled with people who face the same kind of temptations in terms of the credibility of God's word and can God help me and is it worthwhile to actually serve this God of the Bible and quite frankly most of them are saying today out in the streets well why would I listen to this it's it's a 2,000 year old book written by guys 2,000 years what do they know about the culture of Canada in 2017 why, why should I pay any attention to this? I don't even know. I, I'm going to go by my experiences. I'm going to go by how I feel. What if our Savior had have done that? Because as he was standing in the wilderness and the tempter was facing him, he had a 2,000-year-old book too. Satan saying to him, why would, you, why would you abide by that? Written by this guy Moses, the Pentateuch written by this guy Moses. Who is he? Just a human being and didn't know anything about the culture of today in Palestine. Why would you listen to anything he has to say? He's so out of touch. What did our Savior do? Every time the temptation came his way, it is written. Now, if a 2,000-year-old book was good enough for Jesus... I think, Jesus thinks, it's good enough for us. And so our Savior faced the temptation, stared it down, and offered mercy as our Savior went to the cross of Calvary, died for our sins, rose again, and then as his disciples stared at him, he rose to heaven, his coronation day, exaltation, and there he is in heaven. Well, wait a second now, what's, what's going on now? When will the kingdom come? Well, guess what's happening with us? The Lord returns to heaven, and the message of the scriptures is the Lord is coming, just like it was so many years ago. The whole church is filled with the presence of the Lord and all that's left is the coming of the Lord and the kingdom that's promised, the eternal kingdom of God. And so you have this interruption right there that they didn't understand but an interruption that has made all the difference to all the saints of all time to make any of us 
eligible for that. The takeover kingdom, the final consummation, the time in justice when Christ comes in justice and to judge. So that's a quick picture of the kingdom of God in all of its various stages. We haven't written every detail. It would take us forever and the infograph would be incredibly complex. But that's a simplistic breakdown of the kingdom. When someone's asked about the kingdom of God, it's a forever kingdom. It, it was an eternally existing kingdom, the king of the universe. And the king promised to come and he did come and he came and he gave his life for us and now he is seated in the throne in glory and he's back and he's coming again. He's promised he will come again and he will. That's the kingdom of God. And these guys were asking when is this coming? And Jesus says, not so fast. Wait a second. Jesus was preaching that the kingdom is near. It's the cent it was the central message of Jesus. That's what he preached. The message of the kingdom was to, to make way for his way. The way of Christ. In Luke eleven twenty, he talked about the kingdom of God has actually come to you. In twelve thirty two, he talks about the kingdom being offered to you, and finally we get to Luke seventeen, where he actually says the now of the kingdom. It's in your midst. I, you know, I have to think that that day, as Jesus was facing the confrontation of the Pharisees. And they're standing looking at him. And they say to him, so tell us, when will the kingdom come? I can't prove this, but I think Jesus paused for a while. I think he just stared at them like, And then he replied, the kingdom is within your reach. Just reach out your hand. Because Jesus, his ministry and message is the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God was standing right before them. He says to them, um, back in, in Luke chapter 12, you guys are at best weather interpreters, masquerading as spiritual leaders. If you look back, he'll say, you know, you know how to, you know, if you see the clouds in the sky, you say it's going to rain. If you see the sun coming up, you say it's going to be a great day. Well, good for you. I'm, re I'm, really, I'm really pleased for, that, for you. You're, you're, no, you're, you're no better than weathermen. And you're calling yourselves spiritual leaders. You, and he yells this at them, you hypocrites. Spiritual leaders are spiritually sensitive. You're not spiritual leaders. That's why Jesus always talked about when he was giving the message of the king, saying, he who has an ear, she who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say. If you know God, if you're a spiritual leader, you should know who I am. You shouldn't be asking me when the kingdom is coming. I'm standing right in front of you. He who has eyes to see should be able to see. 
So he says the, um, the kingdom is not going to come with observable cosmic fanfare. Not right now, anyway. It's invisible to the insensitive, but the sign is Jesus and his message. It's not in a localized place. Here it is, there it is. It's growing in influence, the reign of God. So where is it? Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is here, now, right in your presence. The ministry of Jesus. Look no further, Jesus saying to them. I'm it. I'm already here. If you paid attention to all the evidence, you wouldn't be asking the questions. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The dead are being raised. What, are you, what else are you looking for? My kingdom, he says, is spiritual. John 18. Uh, when Jesus had a, a, a debate with Pilate just before his crucifixion in John chapter 18, in verse 36, Jesus declares and, and defines his kingdom. He says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. Do you not understand, Pilate? I'm not a political guy. If my kingdom was a political kingdom, your Roman centurions wouldn't stand a chance. In a millisecond, I'd be out of here. Jesus didn't need a political structure to bring his kingdom to us. Because his kingdom isn't found in a political system. It's, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that he moves into our hearts. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The rule and reign of Christ to those who follow him moves into their hearts. It doesn't matter whether we're in a liberal situation, whether we're in a conservative or NDP or socialist or green party or communist or dictatorship. Do you think the kingdom of God is limited one tiny bit by whatever political situation is going on in our world? Not in the least. Jesus said, my kingdom is not about politics. Jesus stayed out of politics. Might be a good idea if we did. I'm serious. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be politicians. No, we should infiltrate every arena of life. I am saying that if we think that the movement or growth or, or um, uh, success of the kingdom of Christ is related to whoever's prime minister, we're, we're totally wrong, completely wrong. Our hopes don't change no matter who is at Queen's Park or Parliament Hill. My kingdom is spiritual. Christians should understand, disciples of Christ should understand that we should be no threat to the governing authorities. Not only is his kingdom spiritual, but the entrance of his kingdom requires being born again. Jesus bumped into a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was asking the question in John 3, 
Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's the dividing line of our message. That's the proclamation of our gospel. That's what John the Baptist was teaching. Jesus Christ continues with the teaching. Make up your mind. The urgency of the hour of the kingdom of God is to decide whose side you're on. Are you for God or are you for yourself? Because you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God unless you are born again. This is not talking about just switching churches or switching religion or moving into the Protestant world. This is talking about a complete renovation of the life, a complete makeover of a defective life that was once lost and sinful and has now been reborn by the Spirit of God that the kingdom now enters into us. It's granted to us by Christ. Luke 22, called by God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Through repentance, Matthew 3, 2. A change of mind. I once was believing this. I once was believing the fantasy of my mind. I once was believing in myself. Now I realize that myself and my good works are useless. I need to turn to God and ask him for mercy because of what Christ has done for me. And then the kingdom of God moves into my heart. Because, beloved, if the kingdom, uh, the rule of God... It has to be in you before you can be in it. If the kingdom of God is not in your heart, you are not in the kingdom of God. So when you're asking where it is, you ask me where the kingdom of God is, I'm looking at the kingdom of God this morning. I'm looking at it. And so what did Jesus teach us about the kingdom? He taught us that We need to seek it first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his whispers, righteousness. And all these things we added to you. That's a daily daily regimen of a person in the kingdom of God. You know, we often think, that's, uh, what, what does he mean by seek first the kingdom of God? You know what he means? Seek first as your daily moment with God. Lord God, I pray that the rule and reign of God would be the priority of my life today. That the right way of God is righteousness. The, the kingdom of God is righteousness are virtually synonymous here. That the rule and reign of God would take over my life today and, and that everyone I meet and everyone I speak to would, would, would experience the kingdom of God. So they ask, where is the kingdom of God? It's, it's, it's here. It's me. That I might live my life like Christ. We pray that the kingdom would come. This is not just simply a prayer about the future, about that that final kingdom stage. No, no, this is is also that, oh, oh, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in particular in this prayer, that thy will might be done in my heart today. 
that the kingdom of God might be so manifest in my life today that the will of the Father, that the way things are in heaven would be lived out in my life. That's how we influence and impact people. That's how people see something different. They see and encounter the kingdom of God. When you pull up to Costco, a gas bar, and you're in a hurry, and some dear older champion of Oshawa is fumbling around trying to get his card in the thing, and you're like, come on. And he's real, I don't have the, he gets his wallet, I don't have the right card. And he gets in his glove compartment, I don't, what's the card? I don't, I, what, that's a card. And then he goes over to the booth, and you're like, thy kingdom come, <laughs> thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the rule and reign of Christ so invade my life today. That's what this means. The church. The church is the visible expression of the kingdom. We have the keys to the kingdom. What does that mean? We, we have been given and granted by Christ the entrance requirements to the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The gospel message are the keys to the kingdom. The entrance is reserved for those who enter through the king. We live in the now of the kingdom, but not yet of what we are anticipating and looking for. Because all of us are looking for something better than this. A time when there will be no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more separation. We're going to talk about that next week. Jesus talks about the longing and looking for the day of the Son of Man. That's where we're at. We cry out the prayer, Maranatha, Oh, Lord, come. That's the, the most ancient prayer of the church that's recorded. Maranatha, oh, Lord, come. The people of God have been praying that prayer since the very beginning. Since we defected from him in the Garden of Eden. It will be very visible. When Christ comes the next time, it will be very visible with lots of cosmic crisis. But first, Jesus said, there must be rejection and suffering before my glorious rule. And thank the Lord that he went to the cross for us so that we might be eligible to be in his glorious kingdom and his rule. So, that's the kingdom. And we're right here, right here, 
It's decision time. There isn't one thing left in history to happen before the King, King Jesus comes again. Not one thing left. This is crisis of the soul time. You're either in or you're not this morning. But you can be in. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message of the kingdom. As John the Baptist preached, as Jesus preached, as people have preached from this pulpit for 90 years, the same message, repent, turn to Jesus Christ. He has paid for your sins and he will forgive you and he will receive you. He will welcome you. The kingdom of God will move into your heart. And when the kingdom of God moves into your heart, you've moved into the kingdom. That is a great truth. So this morning, as I close in prayer, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as king of your life, why not today? Why not invite him to be king right now where you are to come into your life? Father, we just pray and thank you for the truth. Thank you for what you teach us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the mercy of Christ who has come to rescue us and to give us this great message and to offer to us the kingdom. Oh, Lord, I pray that there would be no one in here this morning that would turn and reject that and move out of this building. But today, the day of salvation might be their day of having the king move into their heart and them move into the kingdom, oh God, for Jesus' sake, amen. One of the things we encounter throughout much of the New Testament is a lot of disappointment with Jesus. In terms of this whole grand vision of kingdom, John the Baptist, as you know, I said to you, went to prison and it's like, are you really the one who asked the question or should we expect another? When Jesus was, had been resurrected and was walking outside of the city of Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, the, the two Emmaus disciples came along and they said, we thought that he was going to redeem Israel. Ah. Even the disciples, after they had seen him alive, they, they didn't seem to be all that excited. Not, not the way I think they should have been as I looked at it a little closer, maybe because Lazarus was still alive, they had seen people rise from the dead. Ah, they went out fishing. Then they asked Jesus when they saw him again, Are you, is this the time you're going to restore Israel? Because all they had is a pro-Israel deal going. But when you get to the very end of the book of Luke, Luke 24, in the verse 50s, 56 maybe around there, it says they came back dancing for joy. Now, what happened? The crucifixion, the resurrection, this, the sighting of Jesus again, none of that seemed to cause that reaction, but there was something that happened that caused that reaction. It was the ascension of Jesus Christ. It was when they saw him rise up into heaven and they realized, wait a second, 
the kingdom is on. It's a reality. The cosmic king of the universe is going to take his seat at the throne room of God. And he's watching over us and he's advocating for us and he's praying for us by name. And he's sending his comforter to us. The kingdom is in us and he's giving us strength and power. He says, don't leave the room until I send power to you. It was incredible. They finally got it. Yes, Jesus is the king and he is over his kingdom and he is going to come back again and the kingdom promises will take place. And so they ran back to Jerusalem jumping like calves out of a stall as Malachi had prophesied. Because the king, our king, is ready, poised. There isn't one thing left to do but for him to come and gather us for the time we're all looking forward to. So I ask you again, make sure, number one, that you're in the kingdom by inviting the king into your life. And make sure as you have, are looking at this doctrine of the kingdom as God's people, that you understand that the rule and the reign of Christ is in you. And to be who you are. So that when people are asking, where's this kingdom of Christ? It's right here. It's right here. It's where we are. Our Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you did come and walk among us to take care of our sin problem. And you have been raised at your coronation to heaven. There you rule over the affairs of this world. But in particular, you rule in the throne room of our hearts. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we seek first the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God and his righteousness, his right ways of living, and all these things of the day will be added to us. Oh God, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.